Well, good morning, City family. Uh, good morning to all, to all of our guests. I want to thank you for tuning in and worshiping with us today. Um, thank you to Melanie for setting the table here. Thank you to the singers. Uh, and, and thanks to my baby girl, Natalie, and my baby boy-in-law, Shay, for that uh, assurance of grace. Uh, it was good to see your faces. I'm so proud of both of you. And I just want to add my amen to your assurance. Oh, Lord, that we might lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, as an act, our act of true and proper worship. Um, in fact, that's what we're talking about today. We are returning today to a series, to our series about worship. Um, and in this way, uh, it is a series that gets at the heart of what it means to be a human being, in my opinion. See, the Bible teaches us that worship is what we were born for, what we were made for. Our, our, uh, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters have a discipleship process that they put all their little Presbyterians through. Uh, it's called the Westminster Catechism. Uh, it's a series of uh, questions that you learn the answers for. And as you learn those answers, uh, they, uh, their, their process is they believe that you're learning all the basics of the Christian faith. I've always been struck by the first question of the Westminster Catechism. Um, being that it is the first question, <laughs> reveals that they feel it's the most foundational question. And that question is this, what is the chief end of humanity? What is the chief end of, human, of, what, of a human being? Another way to say it might be, what is the reason for the existence of human beings? Why are you here, is the first question that they're asking those little Presbyterians. What more fundamental question can a human being have? Why am I here? If God made me, why did he make me? What's the purpose? What's my purpose? And the Westminster Catechism answers that question this way. I think it's brilliant. It says the chief end of every human being is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's a marvelous definition of worship, glorifying God and enjoying God. Enjoying God as we glorify him, glorifying God through our enjoyment of him. All oh, this is worship. That's a great definition of what worship is. Worship, and it's, a, and it's a definition of what we were made for. That's what the catechism says. What are we made for? We're made for worship. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we are worshipers, whether or not we want to be. We're just made. It's what human beings are. Worship is what we do. We will glorify and enjoy our God at all times. Now, whether our God is the one true God or not, that's another question. You know, a clock is made to keep time. That's what a clock is made to do. Now, a clock may not keep the correct time. But that doesn't make it not a clock. It cannot be anything other than a clock. And in the same way, all human beings are worshipers. That's what human beings are made to do. Now, we might be worshiping uh, some uh, God we, we, that, that is not the one true God. 
We might be worshiping false gods and false idols of all kinds. But we cannot be other than what we are. Right now, to the good of the ill, the earth is full of worship. But how much of that worship is going where it is supposed to go? How much of the world's worship is devoted to the one true God, the most high God? And let, us, let us be clear about something here today as we begin. A lot of, uh, of our family in the church would begin their worship service by repeating the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And that's a good idea because we need to be clear about the God we are worshiping, about the God we believe in. As it, said, as it says in the Nicene Creed, we believe in one God. Amen? City? Family? We believe in one God. We believe in the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe uh, that he made all things visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. This is the one God. This is the way we say uh, this is this is the God we say is to be glorified and enjoyed in every human heart forever and ever. That's how we fulfill our purpose. The worship of the one true God aligns us with reality. The worship of the one true God satisfies the deepest longings of our souls. The worship of the one true God is what you and I need the most. Above food, we need you, O Lord. Above water, we need you, O Lord. Above shelter, we need you, O Lord. Above safety and security, we need you, O Lord. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is flipped upside down theologically. The bottom of the pyramid is you, oh God. And we are here today to declare that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added to you. Do you believe that this morning? If you were here with me, would you say an amen? If your device would allow, would you comment an amen to that? I know you would. I know that all of those within the sound of my voice, at least this morning, most of you would say amen to that truth. Not all, maybe. And if so, I'm glad you're here. But many of you would. Most of you would probably agree that we are here to worship the one true God and enjoy him forever. And yet, somehow we must admit or at least I must admit this morning, that as good as all my intentions may be to give God all of my praise, to lay down my, all of my life as a living sacrifice, to orient all of my life in such a way that Jesus is at the burning center of everything, even, that's, even though that may be the intention and the desire of my heart, I have to admit the lyrics of the old hymn are true of me this morning. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I feel it in me. I'm prone to leave 
the God I love. Let me confess something to you this morning. I am a sinner. I'm a redeemed sinner, but I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner that's already saved by the grace of God, and yet simultaneously there's a lot of saving that Jesus has yet to do in me. Is there anybody out there that can say the same of themselves this morning? Is there anybody out there who is painfully aware this morning? This morning, you are painfully aware of your sin. This morning. This morning. If so, I have something to say to you today. You, sinner, need to open your mouth and worship the Lord. You need to worship the Lord today, sinner. Now, I know your objections. I know your objections because I've been there. I am there often. And too often my sin has kept me from opening my mouth in worship because I felt like a hypocrite of the worst kind. I get it. So I get it. But let me just say this. The enemy of your soul would love nothing more than for your mouth, sinner, to remain silent this morning and withhold praise. I love the language of Psalm 107 where it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, let the redeemed of the Lord say that they have been redeemed. Let them tell the story of who they were before Jesus found them. Let them tell the story of living in the dark and being brought into the glorious light. Let them tell the story of being dead in their sins and being made alive in Jesus Christ. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The heavens rejoice to hear the redeemed of the Lord say that they are redeemed. <coughs> Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But the opposite of that is also true. The heavens rejoice to hear the redeemed of the Lord say so, but the devils also rejoice when the redeemed of the Lord will not say so. And, 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 and why would a redeemed person not say so? It's because all of us redeemed sinners, like dogs, return to our vomit, says the scriptures. Can I explain that? No, but I've done it. Because all of us redeemed sinners, like Israel, we long for Egypt, even though we are on our way to the promised land. Can I explain it? No. All of us find ourselves in time, at times in even our uh, redeemed state, since we were saved by the blood of the Lamb, that we find ourselves doing the very thing we don't want to do, and that which we want to do, we don't do. And in those moments, because we feel our hypocrisy, because we feel like a failure, 
because we feel like we just haven't believed hard enough or, or, or I, we can't be like these super Christians that we see around us everywhere. We shut our mouths to worship because we don't know how to worship with a broken heart. We don't, we don't when, when it's our fault, it's broken. We don't have language for worship in the midst, in the throes, in the battle of repentance. Well, I want to give you some language for that today. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 32, if you would. And while you're finding that, let me remind you that our sermon series is called He is Worthy. And the subtitle of this uh, uh, series is key. Nine ways to lift high the name of Jesus. Now, in English, we have only one word for worship, one word for praise. But in the Hebrew language, there's no less than nine words for worship, each and praise, and different variations thereof, reflecting a subtle nuance of the human heart that's trying its best to worship, that's trying its best to understand what it means to worship the Lord and enjoy Him. That, that, is, that is a jewel that can be turned and turned and turned forever. And I, I just find it a fascinating that the Hebrew language has these different language, these different words within the language to describe that turning of the jewel. Now, now today's word is for the brokenhearted. And the, then the brokenhearted, not because of something that someone else has done to them, but because of something they have done. Is that you today? Then today's word is for you. Today's word of praise is for you. Today's word of worship is a word of worship for those in the midst, in the throes. You are trying to repent. You are trying to turn. And quite honestly, you're sick of yourself. Today's word is for you. Today's word is yada. Let me throw this up real quick. Yada, and of course, yada right here is a uh, is a transliteration. Y a d a h obviously is not the word in in Hebrew, but it's a transliteration. It's, it's pronounced yada for us. And it's a verb. It's a verb that has to do with the hands, which is interesting. We're going to talk about this a later. There's different ways it can be used. And in the scripture, it's used in different ways. Uh, one, it's used when the hand is throwing something away. It's, it's, it's using the hand to, to throw away. Yada can be used for that. But it also can be used for the wringing of the hands when you are bemoaning something or wailing and travail. Thirdly, it can also be a, a word of, uh, of, of reverence where hands are extended and outstretched in, in worship. And interestingly, also, it is a word that's associated with music many times. Yada, yada, a verb that has to do with the hands. Now, we're going to be looking at Psalm 32, where I had you turn. And we're going to see here, if we can't figure out, where this word for worship, yada, can be found in Psalm 32. So let's read just the first five verses. It says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, 
Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. Is that causing an ache in someone's heart right now? I just want to pause because I'm feeling it in my spirit that there's somebody listening right now that is thinking, oh, to be blessed. Oh, to be forgiven. Oh, for my sin to be covered. This is for you. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through all my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Now, can you guess which word in, yada, in, in this passage is yada? If you didn't know, it's in verse 5. Confess. Confess. It's a word here in the NIV translated. Confess. Now, that's... Interesting, because you might say, I thought these were words of praise, words for the word worship or the word for praise. Well, just turn, you know, just look at Psalm 33, and you're going to see this word yada again. Look in, uh, in verses 1 and 2. It says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make music on, uh, to him with the ten-string lyre. That word praise right there in verse 2 at the beginning, praise the Lord with the harp, is yada. Also, uh, the very same word translated praise here and confess over in Psalm 32. Now, this is where things get exciting, y'all. Are you ready? Because it seems to me that we here in, the, in, in, in Western culture um, separate confession and praise. We confess first. And when that confession is complete and successful, then we praise him for our um, redemption. But there is this sense that in the ancient Eastern context of the Psalms, there's this idea of confession as praise. And perhaps this is what shuts, because we think of confession and praise as kind of separate things. Confession comes first, praise comes second. Perhaps this is what shuts our mouth to praise when we are most aware of our need to confess, when we're most aware of our sin. We are the least apt to praise. And maybe that's because we have this lingering sense that, if we, that, that we can only praise on the other side of our shame, that we can only praise on the other side of our guilt, that we can only be seen praising God once everybody knows uh, or has seen us dumping ashes on our heads in silence for the appropriate amount of time. And once that time has passed, then we can praise because we have said praise is one thing 
confession is one thing. Confession looks one way. Praise looks another. But, if, but, but, but look what happens in Psalm 32. Look what happens in Psalm 32. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. So when I was silent, my bones wasted away. Now look at verse 5. But then when I acknowledged my sin to you, when I did not cover up my iniquity, then I, when I said, when I opened my mouth, when I said I will confess, I yada, when I will confess my transgression to the Lord, then you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, this is, this is where we see Jesus. This is where we see Jesus shining through the Psalms. Like, like, like the sun coming through an open window. This is where we see Jesus in the Psalms. This scenario is only possible if Jesus paid it all. Amen? See, when I'm silent, when my mouth is closed to worship, my bones waste away. And why is this? Because my silence indicates that I think my sorrow can pay for my sins. My silence indicates that if I repent hard enough, if I, if I dog myself long enough, if I drag myself through the mud enough, and this is especially true, the more people kind of know, but the more I make of that, see, somehow I'm paying for my own sin. And then when I have paid sufficiently, then I can worship the Lord for receiving me into his presence again, into his good graces again. And then maybe I can be even received into the good graces of my brothers and sisters and in and even most amazingly, because people, other people will forgive you faster than you'll forgive yourself. Won't they? So if I pay for this sin long enough, maybe I'll be able to forgive myself. If I hurt myself long enough, maybe I'll be able to forgive myself. But when I open my mouth and I cry out, yada. This is an acknowledgement that there's not enough ashes to be heaped on my head for what I have done. There's not enough groveling I can do. There's not enough goats and the, there's not enough uh, goats and bulls to cover over what I have done. There is not blood enough of those animals, of the sacrifices of old. But when I cry out, Yada, I'm confessing someone. I'm confessing someone that did something. I'm confessing that the blood of Jesus is sufficient. Yes, even my sin can be covered in the blood of Jesus. See, see, if you're a sinner today, I want you to open your mouth in a, in, in, in a praise of confession. Not only confessing the depth of your own sin, but also confessing that there is power in the blood of Jesus. See, I'm going to say this again many times today, but you don't honor the sacrifice of Christ trying to pay for your own sin. You don't honor the sacrifice of Christ by keeping your mouth shut to his praise because you're, you feel like a hypocrite. Because you need, to you need to wallow for a while in this. You, you dishonor his sacrifice when you do this. Because you're acting like you could pay for it. If you could do this long enough, you could pay for it. You can't. You can't. You need to confess that you can. And you need to confess that he can. He can. Your blood is not enough. You can't pay for what you did. 
but his blood is. His blood is. See, see that's, a, that's a rich, thick moment. There's a lot going on in that. Opening your mouth in praise and uh, with a praise of confession, confessing the depth of my own sin, confessing the power of the blood of Jesus. There's not one word for all that in English. So you might just have to borrow yada today. Go ahead. I feel sure that ancient Hebrew will not mind if you borrow it. Pray. Yada. Write down. Yada. Sing. Make up a song. Not all songs are meant to be sung out loud where everybody can hear it. But there ain't nobody saying you can't sing yada in your heart. You can't shout yada. And here's what is going to happen in Jesus' name if you open your mouth with a yada. Look at uh, verse 6. When the faithful pray, let them pray to you, God, in this way, while you may be found. And surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place, O Lord. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Deliverance. That's what happens when you open your mouth in a praise of confession. So sinner, are you still having trouble opening your mouth in praise? Would you rather continue to shut your mouth, to shut your mouth in uh, self-abuse? Um, are you still feeling the weight? Are you still feeling like somehow letting your bones waste away in your silence is going to free you. Maybe you need something to help you pry open those lips this morning in praise. Thankfully, you got what you need at the end of your wrists. Remember, yada is a verb that has to do with the hands. Now often, y'all know when I talk about, I, I, I think that lifting your hands in worship is natural. I think it's normal human activity. Okay. Um, and a lot of times when I talk about that fact in, in, in church, I talk about it like we want to raise our hands to you, Lord, like a, like a child reaching to their father to pick them up. So this kind of sense of adoration and dependence. And that's a good way to think about it. It's a natural thing for a child to raise their hands like that to their parents when they need help or just to say, I love you, or just pick me up, I want to hold you. That's a natural expression, and that's why I think this is a natural expression of worship to our Father. So that's one way in which it's natural for human beings to hold up their hands. But there's another situation in which one will naturally raise their hand, isn't there? And when is that? Not only an expression of adoration, it's also an expression of surrender. When Sheriff Woody catches the bad guys, he draws his gun on them, and what does he say? Reach for the sky. <laughs> right? Surrender. Surrender. Give up. If you have a weapon in your hand, throw it away. Give up the fight. Empty your hands. 
See, if you can't call out a praise of confession this morning, sinner, my, my brother, sinner, my sister, sinner, if you can't call out a praise of confession yet, maybe you need to get your hands up and maybe that will pry your lips open a little bit. Listen now, this is important. This is important. Psalm 32 and Psalm 33 are unique in the Psalms because we know that they, we know two things about them that are unique. We know, first of all, that they're meant to be sung together. A lot of Psalms are kind of randomly placed time-wise and by different um, authors and that sort of thing. But Psalm 32 and 33 are, we believe, because of the way they're written and the way they're kind of joined here, they are meant to be sing, song, uh, sung together. That's one thing that makes them unique. And the second is that we know that these two Psalms, among others like Psalm 51 and others, the Psalm 32 and 33 were written by King David after his affair with Bathsheba was revealed. After all the ugliness of that was revealed, he wrote these Psalms and they're meant to go together. And they both use this term, yada. And if you remember that story about David and Bathsheba, David, King David, is the one who was called a man after God's own heart. And it is very important, before we move on, it's very important that you remember that David was a man after God's own heart. The lesson is this. If you think that you are so strong in the Lord, that you can get near temptation and not be susceptible to falling? Think of David. It happened to him, and it can happen to you. So guard your heart. Be careful and flee temptation. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful passions. It doesn't say fight. It says flee. Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, when he's trying to get his disciples to pray with him, he says, I want you to pray that you will not enter into temptation because your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. So you better pray that you don't even enter in. 1 Corinthians 10 says that temptations are common to everyone. All of us are tempted, even David, even you. So how do you fight those temptations? You look for a way of escape, it says in 1 Corinthians 10. You look for a way of escape. That's how you fight temptation. You run. You get out of there. David stayed home when he should have been out at war. He kept looking across at Bathsheba, when he should have looked away. And before long, that, that temptation, which is not yet sin, but the Bible tells us it grows up. It's a seed that grows up. And if you tend it, and if you cuddle it, and if you fool around with it, and if you try to even do battle with it, it can grow up into sin. Temptation is not sin. But we pray, lead us not into temptation. <laughs> Deliver us. Because we know it's what temptation can become. It's just a little coddling. Before long, David's temptation had grown up full when it was full grown. Here's what happened. And an affair with a married woman, she gets pregnant with his child, 
and he arranges for her husband to be killed on the front lines in battle. One lie begets another, one cover up begets another, and David gets, David, the man after God's own heart, gets deeper and deeper and deeper going down a road he never, ever would have seen himself going down, wanted to go down, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And all the while, what's happening inside David, we don't have to guess. We can look at verse, we can look at uh, uh, Psalm 32, and we can see what's going on inside of him. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy on me O lord my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer see see when david when david fought he wasted away when he when he ran from the Lord, he groaned in the night. When he covered up and justified himself, all of the strength ran out of him. Oh, but when he threw up his hands in surrender, and when he threw away his weapons of war, and he opened up his mouth in a praise of confession, look what the Lord said back to him. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. It's a, this now shifts, you'll notice, to first person. So this is the mouth of the Lord speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do, listen, listen, David, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. They have to be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they won't come to you. Don't be like that. Come to me when I call. Come to me when I call. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is now shifted back to David's voice. So once he opened his mouth in confession, he was able to do something else with his mouth. Once he threw up his hands in surrender, he was able to do something else with his hands. Let's keep reading in Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. See, once he opened his mouth in confession, David could open his mouth to sing a new song. Amen? Y'all didn't hear that. Once he opened his mouth in confession, David could open his mouth now to sing a new song. Once he raised his hands in surrender, David was able to use his hands to play the harp and to make music to the Lord on the 10-string guitar. And it's the same for you, brother. It's the same for you, sister. If you're feeling crushed under the weight of, your, of some secret sin today, when it's right, when it's appropriate, raise up your hands in surrender and cry out in confession to Jesus. He is not honored by your silent suffering. He is honored by your confession, your surrender. In this, you glorify him.
And in this, you will be able to enjoy him. When you cry out, Yada. You cry out, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When you cry out, yada, that's what you cry out. Now, you, you're going to have to change your ways. Repentance means an about face. It means agreeing with God that the way he says to live life is the right way to live life. That means you're going to have to change whatever it is that has brought you to this place. See, this confession is not something that makes it all magically go away. In fact, you might have some natural consequences that you have to deal with for the rest of your life because of this sin. But that doesn't mean that you won't have joy because you'll be worshiping the Lord and enjoying him forever, even in the midst of that. You're going to have to do hard work of changing your ways. The Lord says, don't be like a mule that must be controlled with a bit. Agree with God. His way is right, says David. Rest under his guidance. You're going to have to learn what it means to let his rod and his staff comfort you as he corrects you. So I'm not saying that you're not going to have to change your ways. But I'm saying there is nothing about your silent suffering that honors the Lord. When you open your mouth and praise him, Everything can change. Everything can change. We're going to close out today by singing a new song called The Potter's House. Listen to the chorus. Has it sung? One of the, I realize it's probably kind of tough sitting in your houses to sing along, especially with a new song. We don't have the lyrics in front of us or anything like that. I think Melanie's does a great job of trying to introduce us to those new songs and giving examples. You should take advantage of that. But, it's okay to let this song wash over you today. Listen to the words of the chorus as they are sung over you. You who are broken, stop by the potter's house. Bring him the fragments of your broken life. Open your hands, lay them down. Confess to the fact that you can't put yourself together. That's a praise. Empty your hands. Raise them in surrender. This is, this is not only an act of repentance, it's an act of worship. Because if you confess that your sin is great, you're also confessing that you need a great Savior. Amen? Let's close by looking for just a moment at 1 John. Turn. This is the last thing, I promise you. I don't even know how long we've been going. This is the last thing. 1 John. 1 John 1, verse 8. I'm going to read through verse uh, 2 of chapter 2. It says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And let me pause and just say, I think the opposite is almost true, is also true. If we do claim we have sinned and we confess those sins, we make him out not to be a liar, but to be true, that he is who he says he is. 
that his blood can do what he says his blood can do. So he's honored. But if we fail to confess, he's dishonored. Let's keep reading chapter two. Listen, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I don't want you to sin and just think you got an easy out in confession. I'm not speaking to you. If that's you right now, you, this, none of this is for you. This is for people that are crushed under the weight of their sin and are believing out for Jesus. They're believing in Jesus. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, and you will, and you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Hey, 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 look, this one is for all you sinners out there. All you non-sinners, you can pay no mind. I'm sorry you wasted your time, but if you're a sinner today, I want you to know God is not honored by your silent suffering. He is honored by the praise of your confession. So reach for the sky, reach for the sky, raise your hands, throw away your weapons, and cry out, Yada. He is faithful. He is just to forgive. Amen. Amen. When we do that, open our lips and praise that way, then our lips can be open for us to sing him a new song. Let's do that now together. Amen.